1: Hey, good morning. Scott Luton, Greg White, and Kevin L. Jackson here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how you doing?
0: I'm doing great. I'm, I am uh, looking forward to another week. Uh, this one will have to be a lighter week for you than it than, than last week. That's you right. put in the last time
1: week. last week, man. We sure did. We sure did. We cranked out the donuts, and they were really good, tasty donuts. But Kevin, how are you doing? <laughs>
2: Hey, I'm great. Last week was my New York week, man. I started it off uh, on the hill at Wimbledon. I was, well, I was in New York City, but uh, I was with IBM, and they actually streamed the Wimbledon finals, and uh, uh, I was on the hill there at uh, Brooklyn Bridge, right next to Brooklyn Bridge, and I was on a New York uh, television show over the week uh, last week and a radio show. Hey, I'm a New Yorker now.
0: <laughs> forget, well, about, uh, it.
1: <laughs>
0: Big forget <week>. about it
1: <laughs> so Kevin uh, Greg to my ears at least it sounds like the only person that had a bigger week last week than Kevin would be uh, Cam who who won the uh, Cameron, the Smith.
0: Cameron, Cameron Smith. Smith wow put the lights out I mean he ain't <laughs> under in the final round of of the Open Championship made it look easy, frankly. I mean, yes, it was the smoothest, calmest, crushing of the greatest players in the world that I've recently <laughs> maybe ever seen. Man, just no sweat, he just didn't sweat whatsoever. And his playing partner, also named Cameron, the right? Camerons, as they were calling him, <laughs> finished second.
1: So, so. Uh that, that was that was must see TV yesterday, I thought. But uh, Kevin, Wim- Wimbledon sound your Wimbledon trip sounds wonderful as well. Yeah. Uh that's always a treat each and every year. And hey, but today, speaking you know, of uh, treats. This is a
2: Pim's cup. Have you ever heard of a Pim's cup? I hope oh, yes.
0: Pim's yeah. is a oh, local yeah. liqueur or something, right? A,
2: yeah, it's a gin liqueur, but that's what you drink when you're at Pimbleton. Uh it's a gin liqueur with uh, a strawberry in it and yeah. uh, it's cool and uh, it's really good first time i've had one so uh, okay a pimm's cup
0: <laughs> to actually, actually it's funny you mention that kevin because i saw some opportunities for watson to learn some things by the way um well, watson screwed up big time yeah well on i it. mean it, it's it's got to be really hard it, this was an ai analysis scott where watson said curios would beat uh, Djokovic obviously yeah. not taking into account uh, um, mental toughness and stability because I could n- never have seen it happening and in fact I don't know if you saw this too Kevin but as you looked back on the first set you realized that Djokovic was trying some things to see how Kyrgios would respond um, and also Kyrgios was crushing every single serve um and and it just took him a minute to figure out his game uh Djokovic yeah, lost just, the first set and just decimated the poor guy in the next yeah, set yeah, so get out, uh, out that,
2: uh, that served right and he just yeah. figured out you know it it was a mental game it wasn't physical it was it, it was mental
1: <laughs> yeah well, yeah. uh, tune in here next week for uh, Tennis Analysis Live <laughs> on Supply Chain Now. Uh, but I know, Greg, you play, and Kevin, you may play as well, but regardless, sounds like you had quite the experience uh, up at Wimbledon. Um, on that note, talking about quite the experience, today it's the Supply Chain Buzz Digital Transformers yeah. Edition, right? Every third, third week, <laughs> uh, every third Monday of each month. Um, we're going to be sharing some of the leading stories across global business. And we also have got a special guest joining us about 1225. Um, Ellen Patridge with Six River Systems will be joining us as we talk uh, a lot of retail, a lot of, a lot of things retail here today. Uh, but we're going to be talking about a variety of topics. And uh, Greg and Kevin, we want to hear from folks what your thoughts are uh, in the cheap seats or the skyboxes or whatever you want to refer to the folks in the comments. We'd love to get your take. On what we're talking about. Uh, Speaking of which, Greg and Kevin, let's say hello to a few folks. Uh, Shelly Phillips is back with us. We got to get Shelly's story. Kevin, Shelly shared with us last week that she was part of a team that went from zero to $60 million. And she was like employee number one. So we got to get Shelly's story at some point. Yeah. She might have been CEO, if I'm not mistaken. I think that that makes a lot of sense to me, Uh, Greg. Catherine, of course, Catherine, Chantel, and Amanda, all part of our, our uh, incredibly talented production team. Big thanks to what they do. Uh, Catherine up in
0: the North Georgia mountains by a lake, just reminding us all that it's not always 95 degrees and 95% humidity <laughs> in Georgia, right? <laughs> You, you're right about that.
1: Uh, Samana is back with us. I think Samana was with us uh, last week on a session. Great to see you here today via LinkedIn. Hey, let us know where you're tuned in from. We love connecting the dots. Um, this is, I think, Susan Christopher is tuned in from Nebraska via LinkedIn. Folks, if you ever get a LinkedIn user graphic like that, it's just a little security setting on your LinkedIn. You can change that uh, if you like. But welcome in, Susan. Uh, Michael Rowan. From Cleveland, Ohio, via LinkedIn. Great to have you here, Michael Greg. I got to
0: know what you're <laughs> laughing about. I just love, I love your LinkedIn tips. This ought to be the the supply chain buzz and LinkedIn operating operating tips, right? <laughs> and <laughs> tennis. And <Yeah>. tennis. <laughs> I know you can't stand to see it when you can't see their name. So you're oh. you're one person at a time trying to educate people <laughs> on how <not> to <laughs> share share well, their that's profile. A, that's
1: mm-hmm. such a great
0: yeah, observation.
1: Audience. Now, yeah, you know.
2: Scott's all about connecting with the audience.
0: In truth. That is in truth. Right. <laughs>
1: both of y'all, you, you, you're dialed in. You're dead on, right? And plus, uh, to be able not to attribute wonderful input and T-shirt-isms to the right people, you know, <laughs> but it's all about making a connection. Y'all are both so so right. Um, T-Squared. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, tuned in from YouTube. He's holding down the Fort us as always. Great to see you here today. Gene Pledger. Good old GP is back with us from North Alabama. Great to see you here, Gene. To Greg's point earlier, Catherine is not bragging. No, not bragging
0: at at all, right?
1: 83 (laughs) and breezy. Man, I'm jealous, Catherine.
0: And she's either looking at a forest, a mountain, or a lake, right? I mean, there's only three views up there, so (laughs) beautiful. Um, Well, great to have everybody, and y'all keep Chiming
1: in, we've got a lot to get through here today with Greg and Kevin and, and our uh, wonderful guest um, Ellen's going to join us about twelve twenty-five. So I want to start though, Greg and Kevin. Uh, today we published an outstanding episode, uh, Enrique and Al- uh, Alvarez and I sat down with Shaker Nata Rajan, last uh, a couple weeks ago, and he has got Greg and Kevin an incredible backstory. You know, came came from a very um, poor family. I think he had eight or nine siblings in India. Um, his brother came here because he had a health condition. Shaker came with him. You know, with with next to nothing, and then he uh, found his American dream. and And now he he's the fearless supply chain leader of one of the. Uh, big retail brands doing special things across global business, and that's of course American Eagle. Uh, so y'all check out this this incredible episode that we published here today. Wherever you get your podcast, you can just find and subscribe to Supply Chain Now. Um, Greg or Kevin, Kevin, go ahead. You've been tracking American Eagle and what they've been up to.
2: Oh well, yeah, I say what well, what a life. I mean that uh, you know a, a brand shows its worth when it can um, can change itself, modify itself, upgrade itself with, uh, with its audience. And, and American Eagle is one of those that, that, you know, uh, tunes in with their audience and it, it, it modifies a change. It, it listens to its audience. Um, and I know uh, as a supply chain leader, you, <laughs> you got to go with the flow. So uh, I'm sure that was a great story.
1: Oh, uh, well, it really was. He was very transparent and authentic in, in what he shared. Uh, Greg,
0: uh, you've been tracking American Eagle and what they've been up to. I haven't uh, so much, but I, you know, I have uh, two two uh, Gen Z daughters and a millennial daughter, so I'll make some references back to them and see what they're seeing. <laughs> Love it, uh, y'all. Check check that out. And you know, uh, Amanda, she reminded me Amanda was not
1: uh, a member of the American Eagle team back in college. Uh, I don't, I think I forgot to share that with Shaker. But uh, y'all check out the, the wonderful conversation we had uh, with uh, Shaker and Enrique. Um, George is tuned in from River Falls, Wisconsin via LinkedIn. George, you got to give us, you know, <laughs> if we talk anything around here is weather. Give us a weather update from what is going on in River Falls, Wisconsin. Um, weather and and food. Those are the two top topics on supply
2: chain now. What's that? Weather and food.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> food.
0: <laughs> Food.
1: <laughs> weather. We, <All> right. <laughs> <laughs> we are elevating the conversation with weather and food. That is right, Kevin and Greg. Uh and Shelly, uh, I agree with you. He is absolutely a visionary and he's not doing things as they've always been done, making some really big moves. And yes, very humble. So I appreciate that. Um, Shelly. Um, okay. So Greg and Kevin, what I want to get into, I we'll want get into the news, right? we got a couple of stories we're going to cover before Ellen joins us. And, uh, Greg, I think we're going to start with some really cool things going on in Kansas, your home state and, and a state where I spent two years with the air force in Wichita, tell us what's going on there.
0: Yeah. Uh, so Panasonic is, is opening this $4 billion electric vehicle, EV plant, uh, battery plant in Kansas. So. Let's talk about that first, and then we can talk a little bit about why, at least I think that matters, in Kansas anyway. Um, First of all, EV vehicle sales are up 13%, um, and and a lot of that would be higher if it weren't for the fact that you can't build them, which is why they need battery plants. Mm. Um, 66% of the EV market is Tesla, which is Panasonic's biggest customer, so... Um, this is predominantly their uh, b- uh, battery and elect- electronic division. Um, you know, Panasonic is a very broad company. And people may or may not remember that they bought Blue Yonder, a technology company, a supply chain technology company, and they intend to spend another uh, $4 billion on that. So um, they are all, all over the place and and trying to keep up with this demand. And I think one of the cool things about it from a, Native Kansan standpoint is Kansas has you know has at times been very very prominent in the manufacturing industry. I mean the aircraft industry. It's it, Wichita, Kansas is known as the air capital of the world. Cessna, Beach, Learjet, Mooney, and Stearman all started there. Uh, innumerable other companies that have operated out of there. Not to mention Boeing, who built a number of their aircraft fuselage and and componentry in. Uh, the Wichita area until they consolidated things back to Seattle, mm. but but there are a ton of other companies that you you know that I think uh, people don't think about. And Panasonic's business case for this was that there's such a great manufacturing skill set in uh, in Kansas. So the town that they're operating in is called Desoto. It's just west of Kansas City, the suburbs okay. of Kansas City. Between Kansas City and Lawrence, which is where the University of Kansas is,
3: wow. um,
0: so they're going to build this facility to, in addition to one they just built uh, near Sparks, Nevada, Reno, uh, to try and keep up with demand from Tesla, who is, you know, obviously making things happen in the EV space. So, mm. I mean there there are a ton of there are a ton of points of pride, right? If you think about this, uh, lots of companies you probably never thought about not to mention Pizza Hut, but that's not really manufacturing, is it? Um, <laughs> the Coleman Company, Spirit Aerosystems, Heston, Field Queen, Agco, Farm Equipment, um, Hills Pet Food, uh, Spirit Aerosystems, Bushnell, and Garmin, all, all are or have been home in uh, in Kansas. So. Okay. And, and, not, and there are pharmaceutical companies. Roach was there. Cerner is still in Kansas City. Um, so uh, you know, there's a lot of good talent there. And what have we been talking about over the last several weeks? People are staying away from manufacturing jobs in droves. So if you can find a population that wants to work in manufacturing, uh, go there. Right. Yep.
1: So Kevin, I'd love to get your thoughts here. I, you know, as a former aviator, that air capital of the world in Wichita has got to resonate with you. But what are some of your thoughts here, Kevin?
2: Well actually, it, it's sort of a little personal because uh, my son, he had a, uh, a car lease and he, was, he was, he's, uh, needed to turn his lease in and he was debating whether to get a new lease or um, uh, or not or buy a car. And in, in talking with him, we surprisingly got into a conversation about electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the the market for electric vehicles is, is blowing up, while, whereas the the market for used vehicles is getting kind of soft. And if you get into a lease, you'll you're probably be committed to four or five or six years.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And if, if you look at the market at that time, gas cars will definitely lose their value. So we started talking about uh, electric cars, and uh, one of the things that kind of jumped out to me is that, where, as the a electric car, if you just look at its price, is about $10,000 more than a, uh, a, a traditionally fueled car. Okay. The federal government gives you actually a seven thousand five hundred dollar tax credit to buy an electric vehicle hmm. which brings the price down to about uh, the same but mm-hmm. but more important is that the tax credit is based upon the vehicle Yep. so they um it's it's like uh, when a manufacturer sells gets this you get this credit on a manufacturer's car up until they sell their 200th vehicle hmm. so the federal government is actually subsidizing the market in order to get more electric vehicle manufacturers and in fact you you can't even get the uh, credit if you buy a Tesla because the Tesla they sold their 200th vehicle back in in 2018. Um, so the, the, the electric EV market is going to get much broader, so it's like, and it, these credits are going to go away. So, in four or five years, the value of an electric car is going to you know go through the roof. Now, you wonder, well. But how can I actually charge it because there's not enough charging stations and, and things right. like that but you know um it's really becoming an important discussion right. when you're thinking about your your vehicle I,
1: I agreed and I think it, mm-hmm. the infrastructure aspect of this this whole uh subject matter deserves its you know we could have a be talking for a week straight on all the ramifications. But regardless, big win for Kansas, Greg. Big win. Congrats to you and uh, any uh, uh, native Kansans. That's great to see. And um, and Kevin, I appreciate your kind of how you personalized it with you and your son's uh, car buying conversations. That's perfect. Greg, quick comment there.
0: Yeah, I think that's important to understand is it, it is far more economical if it's a city car. Think of it as a city car, which is most drivers on the planet far more economical to use an ev than to use a gas uh fueled car right because yeah. the the big knocks kevin was talking about are range and charge you know in charging stations right. so um yeah i think uh, you and, and uh, i did not know that it was that close i remember doing the evaluation back in 2014 um, talk about a personal story, Scott, and I did the math with my middle daughter and, and she goes, Oh, daddy, it, it it's only going to take you 10 years to, to offset the cost of gasoline if you buy this car. And I was just like, ah, oh, cause I was really kind of in the ether about it. I just wanted an electric. And then when she put it like that, she was trying to be helpful. She was just a little kid. <laughs> um, and i was just like oh my god it doesn't make sense does it mm. <laughs> but but I, it it sounds like it's coming closer and closer oh yeah, right?
2: and in fact the uh, some of the manufacturers they will actually install a charger in your home in your garage at no price no charge how about that
1: all right so really quick for the sake of time we're gonna have to move to this next story oh, okay. Folks, we got. Ellen, uh, we got Ellen with Six River Systems joining us here about twelve twenty-five-ish. Looking forward to her getting her take on all things retail, inventory, and more. Uh really quick, George, River Falls, Wisconsin, eighty-nine sunny here. and dry. Thank you for that, George, painting that picture. Um, so Yantin, I, where is the fifth car? I'm not quite following you, but hey, it's not the first time. If you can uh, uh, clarify a little bit there. Uh, hey, Doctor Julia is back with us. Julia, great to see you here today. I really, always enjoy your take on what we're talking about. Um, Kevin, as we keep tracking, uh, kind of moving into a different topic here. Let's talk about retail, and in particular, when you first shared this article and, and kind of this this topic, I was I was uh, I misread it. I thought you were talking about the um, customer checkout lanes that um, are growing in demand. But you're talking about an actual checkout-free store, which is also a big trend. So tell us more, Kevin. Right, I- exactly. So everyone, you know, well, my wife excluded,
2: likes the self-checkout way. My wife said, I want somebody checking <laughs> me out. <laughs> but, but, now, <laughs> <was a> <laughs> but, but now... Uh, and Amazon sort of pioneered this. You sort of walk in, you pick up anything you want uh, and you walk out. You, you don't have to check out, right? right? As you are picking stuff out, they, they have a camera and, they scan, and it automatically scans like it's built into the uh, cart, what you put into the cart. Um, and uh, they already have your, your credit card number. And so you just, pick it up and, and walk out uh, and you you may sort of think, well, what's so big about that? You know, there's computers, right? And there's, uh, they've been around for a while It's you just need a camera and RFI scanning. That's, that's no big deal, right? Um, but when you sort of lift the hood, you say, well, where are the computers that are doing all that calculation? Well, if you were a store, you would, you know, if you're going to put those computers in the back room, that would cost you a lot of money. And it's prohibitive. The cost of the computers to do this is prohibitive. But then you say, well, no, no, people wouldn't buy their own computers. They would use the cloud, (laughs) right? Everyone's using the cloud now. So, so this is easy. Just, you know, push all the video up to the cloud and You know, do all your compute in the cloud. But if you think about it, even with your smartphone, sometimes you're trying to do video and you get the spooling because you don't have enough bandwidth Um, plus that bandwidth cost. And if you have any type of um, outage, the store has to shut down. So the cloud is really not, a good solution. You may use the cloud to sort of test it out, but it's not something that you can go operational with. So how is Amazon actually doing this? And it's using edge computing, not cloud computing. Right. And it's using artificial intelligence that's right there on the uh, the floor when you're coming in. So all the compute is being done locally, and it's not just Amazon. Carefor, Sainsbury, 7-Eleven, and Circle K are all transitioning to this environment where shoppers just pick up what they want and, and walk out. The cost of these cameras and sensors is just dropping as well as the artificial intelligence models. This is what's making this a reality. And, and think about it. You can be in a small 7-Eleven and in order to do this, you will need up to 200 cameras, 200 cameras, okay? So that's a lot of bandwidth that you would need if you were just pushing that video up to the cloud. Right. So edge computing, is really changing the, re, the face of retail.
1: Mm, love that. It's exciting. And you got to give the people what they want. Uh, I have not been to a checkout free store yet. Uh, there's something, psycho- uh, Greg, I'm coming to you next uh, for your quick comment. But there, there's something psychologically, right? To, to walk into a store, pick something out, and walk. <laughs> you know, put it in your pocket <laughs> and walk out. I'm going to have to rewire my brain a bit. But Greg, your take on this checkout free store concept and the technology behind it?
0: Yeah, truly, I think it's going to do away with the whole industry, shoplifting. So uh,
1: (laughs) I think it's a little bit
0: unfair to shoplifters because now they'll just pay for stuff when they leave the store. Uh, So so I guess to get used to it, you have to think like a shoplifter. So, Um, but yeah, I think, so I've had the, I've actually had the opportunity to see these stores some years back in a previous company that I ran. We worked with Amazon and it is fascinating. They form a visual net that's about uh, a quarter of an inch by a quarter of an inch by having all these cameras um, crop you know they cross their beams and you know they're shooting everything from a hundred angles basically right it's it is a very very impressive uh, initiative and edge computing for anyone who doesn't know instead of going all the way up to the cloud maybe you just go over to a little bush they're starting to put computers <laughs> seriously. They're starting no. to put computers where phone switching devices are, and cable boxes, and things like that, where they only need a relatively small amount of compute power. It can be much more proximate to the store, right? Um, and there's all kinds of ways. If just if you don't know, just Google Edge Computing. Kevin's the expert. It is fascinating to uh, to just envision what that could mean. So, yep. Um, but anyway, I think it, it's important. And you know what's interesting about this is, I just had on my news letter today an article about how omni-channel, right, is now the baseline for con- the con- consumer experience. They expect you to be online. They expect you to be in- on-prem. They expect it to be easy, right? As Kevin said, I'm I'm a laggard. Right. Lots of people. And I see it every time I go to the grocery store, which is more and more frequent now, Scott, by the way. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm now allowed to shop. (laughs) But um, um, there are people, you know, in in a Kroger store, let's say, there are eight of of these self checkouts. And they are always just rotating people through there. And maybe two or three of the 13 or 14 regular registers are open. So uh, people are definitely buying off off on it, for sure. That's right.
2: One thing you gotta think about from a supply chain point of view though, um, uh, think about the data that you're getting in real time and how fast the supply chain has to respond uh, to these changes, these real time changes. So the importance of data, that's the feedback to the supply chain that has to go all the way back to the source of those products that people are picking up off the shop and walking out.
0: Yeah, well, the, and, the, what, and what have I always said? We don't forecast items because items don't do anything. Right. Items don't sell, they don't trend, they don't grow, they don't die, they don't do anything. What do they do? No they what? wait. <laughs> they wait for a shopper to come in and select them. With 200 cameras in a store, you can start to create images of those shoppers and say, oh, here comes Greg, that idiot's going to go to the regular register, and he's (laughs) he's going to get an apple, a bunch of bananas, and some Intamin's donuts. So.
1: So yeah. well the, the planning, so we'll have to save the rest of this conversation for later, but the, the, the planning impact is a fascinating one. The the impact to customer experience is a fascinating one. And hey, it's coming to a city near you, a uh, store near you. So y'all check that out. Uh, we're about like to- the pick and pack job, right? The customers are doing the pick and pack.
0: Right, right. That job is rendered useless. So then <laughs> soon, so we'll be the will be the uh the cashier. Yes, right. All right.
1: So we'll have to uh pause the conversation here. I want to say hello to a couple of quick folks. Jonathan Hernandez, welcome in via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. We'd love to hear your thoughts on what we're talking about. T squared, uh, maybe the shoplifting is going to take another form.
0: It probably yeah, it's will. Take Ocean's 11 to do shoplifting now. You're going to have to <laughs> knock out the power, dig a hole. Right. right. And
1: listen <laughs> to this impact that Ronald has uh, identified. I wonder how self-checkout will impact the pulse shopping Uh, The impulse shopping market. No more tabloid magazine
0: sales at the (laughs) register. (laughs) Not a joke. joke. There are no whatchamacallits at the self-checkout lane, which is why I don't, another reason I don't use it.
1: That's right. Ron, hope this finds you well in Aiken, South Carolina. Great to have you here. Um, Okay. So uh, we got a great guest. As much as I've enjoyed the uh, the conversation on the front end, and we've had to kind of move kind of quick today uh, on this lightning round of uh, the supply chain buzz here at Supply Chain Now, got a wonderful addition to the conversation so greg and kevin join me in welcoming ellen patridge senior product manager with six river systems ellen good hey. afternoon how you doing
3: hello doing well how are you guys
1: it's so um, great to see you we yeah. enjoyed quite a an eclectic pre-show conversation with ellen I had a lot of fun talking about the garbage plate in Rochester, New York. You'll have to Google that for the sake of time. But also, Scott just can't can't get the uh, uh, portrait.
2: portrait. Portraits. What's that family? Come on,
0: get happy. I know. Yes. (laughs) I was
1: misreading Elm's last name, Kevin. (laughs)
3: Yeah, I just get to me out there. I just have to spoil it for everyone and say it's partridge instead of partridge, and (laughs) (laughs) all
0: the time, though, don't you? Oh yeah, all
3: the time. Partridge in a pear tree, you know, whatever it takes. Plenty of song (laughs) references all around.
0: Well. So uh,
1: now that Kevin has outed me there, uh, Ellen, <laughs> and my uh, my incredible ability to misread uh, names and and whatnot, Ellen, I want to talk about um, uh, before we get into retail and inventory. I want to talk about one of the countries. I'm I'm guessing here least favorite holidays. It is Fresh Spinach Day here on uh, July 18th across the country.
2: How far are you, man? you know, maybe <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh gosh.
2: All right. So
1: clearly Kevin's a fan. Greg is not a fan. I tend to be a little bit with Greg. I try to sneak in some, some raw spinach in my salads from time to time. But Ellen, if it's not spinach, <laughs> if it's not spinach, we're in the middle of garden season for so many folks. What is one healthy you know, vegetable you do get in your diet regularly?
3: Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, if we're talking about regularly, I'd say like broccoli pretty much okay. just gets paired with everything. But if we're talking about like favorites, that's uh, I, I love a good stealth veggie is my go to. Like anytime okay. you know, you talk about putting it into like smoothies or on salads or different things. <laughs> uh, my favorite is uh, grating up zucchini and getting that into like chocolate cupcakes or chocolate cakes. So like, it adds a little bit of moisture into cake. Um, but also just kind of a casual stealth veggie getting into dessert. Um, yeah, stealth
1: veggie, veggie. yeah, that is interesting.
3: Zucchini, super versatile. Put it in pasta (laughs) sauce, put it in chocolate cake, you know, whatever it takes.
1: Uh, Ellen, you're blowing my mind here. I'm gonna have to compare these uh, practices with what you know, Amanda does a lot. She's an incredible cook. Uh, and, uh, we just get picked up some squash and zucchini from the local farmer's market. We're gonna have to check out this, these stealthy vegetables. Uh,
3: yeah, it's co-
1: hey, just don't seem to go
2: together. Yeah, they <laughs> Kevin, I mean,
3: they're great though. Yeah. I feel like, worked. especially it if works. you just have extra zucchini. Yeah. You just, it means same oh, as like wow. banana and banana bread, you know, just different, <laughs> different Well, maybe not quite the same. All right.
1: Well, so. Ellen has talked about, she brought some new uh, culinary practices to the table with the stealthy vegetable and and uh, also broccoli. We're all, I think most of us big big fans of broccoli. I could eat just about every meal. Uh, Kevin's a big fan of spinach. Greg, you're going to get the last word here before moving to retail and inventory talk with Ellen. Greg, your thoughts on what's your go-to vegetable?
0: I'd have to say uh, broccoli, cucumbers, and or okra. Any, anything that can be fried, of course, yes. is my favorite vegetable. So I'm with you.
1: Okay. So uh, now we, that was the shortest celebration of any holiday on the buzz. Uh, at oh, least thank hey, I, you. I, yeah.
2: <laughs> Ellen, I don't Next. know about you.
0: I don't, I avoid spinach, but to your point, If it is stealthily placed into – if it's a spinach pasta or it's in a pasta, right, I actually will eat spinach. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Sautéed spinach is delicious. (laughs) Also that,
3: yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of ways to do it right, but unfortunately there are ways to do it wrong. So, you know, it kind of (laughs) –
1: well, so let's let's do something where we can find maybe more consensus, and that's talking supply chain, talking retail, talking inventory. And, Ellen, I appreciate what you bring to the table uh, and your expertise in this regard. I want to, um, you know, we, we know you're, you're tracking these things with what you and the Six River Systems team do. Uh, there was an interesting article that hit all of our radars uh, over the last couple of days uh, from our friends at Retail Dive telling us what I would argue, and we probably all would argue, what we already know. Normal is still nowhere in sight. Whether it applies to inventory or supply chain, you know, as Greg and Kevin, we've all talked about that genie's not going back in the bottle. But that's where I want to start the conversation with you, Ellen. To, you know, what are some of the observations you have uh, related to you know this article via Retail Dive, or in the bigger picture with what's going on uh, in the retail space across the country?
3: Sure. Yeah. Um, I feel like the the word uncertainty can kind of cover a lot of the things that that article dives into. So like, as they point out, uh, being able to forecast demand and manage your inventory out into the future has been really hard. Uh, consumer trends are not very steady and they've definitely shifted since the start of the pandemic. So going back to 2020, but also like looking into this year, like dealing with inflation, dealing with gas prices, like there are so many things that kind of impact that inventory planning. And so because of that, like a lot of the customers that we're talking to, you know, like they're trying to forecast, you know, what is our peak going to be like? What do we expect to come out at the end of the year? Um, but they may not even be able to rely on like peak forecasts from last year or even just looking at last quarter to know what the end of their year is going to look like. It's just a lot of uncertainty.
1: Yep. Well said, Ellen. Uh, Greg, I want to circle back to you uh, based on what she's already shared or some of your observations when it comes to retail.
0: Uh, yeah, well, uh, let me state first that I was wrong. Uh, Scott, wait, you wait, 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 wait a second. I'll say it again. I'll say it again. Yeah, I was wrong. What, what did I say that the key word for supply chain would be this year? Stability. We can't even begin to approach stability, right? We, we can't even begin to, uh, think about stability because as Ellen said, predictability is also out the window. So uh, think think about uh, where some of these retailers are. The you know the Target instance is well known by now. They're not even the worst offender. There were many many who were worse. They were just mo- more prominent and had just spent four billion dollars on supply chain technology and planned to spend two billion dollars a year. They had just gotten done bragging about all of that when they cut their uh, um, they cut their earnings forecast because they had flubbed on this and then two weeks later cut it again dramatically so this is how far from normal we are and even the best the brightest and the highest spending in the industry are struggling to keep up what uh, i will argue to our our previous point in in the show they're still forecasting off of last quarter or last year and they're still forecasting items which is a huge gap in in allowing companies to predict the future. Because as I said, those, those that toilet paper didn't jump off the shelf into people's right. shopping carts during the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. <laughs> People <laughs> pulled it off forcefully and yeah. stuffed it into shopping carts at Costco and then ran out the door with it. Um, so I, I think we have to think about how we can, can close that gap. But in this day and age, the best we can do is be supremely responsive and start to shift our gaze towards the future, because even the most advanced technology does not support that very well these days, shift our gaze towards the future. However we can do it and towards the consumer whenever we can. Okay.
1: Beautiful. Beautifully said there, Greg, Kevin, I'm coming to you next, but really quick T squared going back to food. He says, here, she says, uh, uh, he says try rhubarb for the dead taste buds, uh, hashtag tart. Uh, <laughs> but Ron <laughs> Shepard that's what I hear. Ron agrees with Kevin. Spinach is awesome. So, Kevin, you got some allies there. Kevin, nice. but coming back to retail and inventory and observations, there, what are, what are you seeing, Kevin?
2: So, what I am seeing is uh, organizations refusing to learn. Right. All right. They're putting more money into how to forecast better. Using what happened last month or mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's like take that money and put it into systems that sense what's happening today, right? Like these um, uh, checkless uh, uh, check checkoutless retail stores, right? right? You have to monitor and get data on what the customers is doing right now mm. in order to feed and design your supply chain. It's just a waste of money. why why do people refuse to uh you know listen listen to their own ears and see what their own eyes are telling them and you know feel the pain that they've experienced in their wallet. Because they failed to forecast based upon, they continually failed to forecast based upon the past. Mm. I mean, it's stubbornness.
1: So it, it, and so many folks are doing it. Kevin, excellent comment. You and Greg, quite the one-two punch. And throw Ellen in there. We got like a, uh, <laughs> a, a three-way tag team championship team right here. Yeah. Um, okay, Ellen, Ellen,
0: you're in.
3: Great go let's do it so
1: ellen if you would respond to what you know greg's talking about shift the gaze kevin's like folks what are y'all doing ellen respond and then we're going to kind of pulse uh you with what you're seeing business leaders do so your your uh, thoughts there, ellen
3: yeah i mean just like the main things are just saying like yes for the things greg and kevin are saying you know we're looking at folks who are facing a ton of uncertainty and because of that like they're Uh, responsiveness is important as, uh, Greg, I believe you said that word is perfect. And I think flexibility, uh, and Mm -hmm. basically that's the word I had in mind, but I feel like both of those are the same, like being able to, you know, react to what you're seeing and not just keep looking to the past and not just keep trying to improve the way you did do things, which I think it's like, Kevin, what you're saying, you know, we shouldn't just keep trying to like, Oh, we just need to do what we've always done a little bit better. Like we need to be thinking (laughs) about things differently because of, you know, kind of what we're facing right now.
1: Right. We gotta be, we gotta be better at being uh, contortionists. If I can say that word, right. Uh, and, and changing how we view kind of what Greg and Kevin and Ellen, what you're all saying, changing what we do, changing how we view, uh, supply chain management for that matter and retail and inventory and all the good stuff. Um, It's like
2: fighting the last war (laughs) over and over again.
1: And fighting the urge to do business as usual. Right. Greg, you were going to say something.
0: Yeah. Supply chain uh, academia does not help. You know, I keep saying we've been teaching the wrong thing for decades and decades because, and this is a world, Kevin, that you're not familiar with in supply chain. We used to have, uh, a complete lack of robust data. All we had was what had sold as data, right? So we had to do that in 1868 and 1903 when a lot of the forecasting techniques that are used today were created, by the way. That's not a joke. I mean, that's serious, right? These are re- regression techniques and all these other techniques were were created before any of us were born. Mm. and um, And now we have much more robust data where we can that's why we need to shift our gaze because we still think in the industry, we still think we're forecasting items. And I've been fighting this battle for now 15 years. And eventually we have to recognize two things. One that we're forecasting the wrong thing. We have to think of three things actually to Ellen's point. One, we're forecasting the wrong thing Two, forecast is not the only, uh, the only answer because there are two kinds of forecasts. Scott, wrong and lucky <laughs> and 99.99% of forecasts are not lucky. So, <laughs> so we have to to Ellen's point we have to focus on resilience and responsiveness and flexibility and agility whatever you want to call it because right. the forecast is going to be wrong. Right? At least for the foreseeable future, the next 5-10 years probably. It's so
2: it's your sweat is a forecast. Forecast is a guess. And we're putting more money into it to be able to guess
1: better. Guessing.
2: Instead of <laughs> right. putting money to actually looking at what's happening. <laughs> okay.
1: All right. So, uh, Ellen, we've got a passionate crew here today. Ellen, I'm coming back to you yes. in just a second. I want to share a couple of quick comments. T-Square says it looks like the efficiency, uh, responsive, and agile supply chains are converging to making a new type of supply chain given the wanted retail customer experience and the requirements needed to meet it. Excellent analysis, T-squared. Tony, great to see you here, Tony, via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Agree with Kevin about forecasts. And he said, look what he says, supply chain now says it. Yes. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) There you go. Manav says, I think we all need. There's a (laughs) (laughs) T-shirt. That's right. Uh, (laughs) Manav says, I think we need to also look into crisis management. Uh, And and you know what we need when you reinvent uh, our approach to crisis management, perhaps. Um, all right, so Ellen, I'll circle back. There's so much to get through here today. Uh, a lot of passion, a lot of expertise. But Ellen, you know, you, you talk a bit. You and your team talk with business leaders all the time. You know, what do you see business leaders doing uh, to have a different and a much better peak season?
3: Right. Yeah. Um, so, as I said, break it into a few different buckets. So, you know, we get into this, like, inventory planning idea of just continuing to keep a pulse on the industry that you're in and the customers that you're working with and checking in frequently with those trends and different things that you're seeing. But I think overall, like, what we're getting at here is, you know, like, it can be really, like, was it, forecasts are either wrong or lucky, and they're probably not going to be lucky. So, because of that... <laughs> I'm like, was that a good like, generalization of that? I forgot the percent you gave. Um, yeah,
0: that's good. Uh,
3: yeah, uh-huh. probably, probably not. Um, okay. So because of that, you want to be able to create a system that's flexible when inevitably those forecasts are wrong. So how we're seeing people create that flexibility is through both labor flexibility as well as automation flexibility. It's so like labor flexibility is like creating a system and a... Uh, fulfillment center that is able to easily bring people in and that people want to work for. And that is huge, especially in the labor market today. Like being able to make your warehouse be somewhere where when you have peak season demands or you have changes, you are able to get folks in from the labor market. Because right now, like I go to warehouses and it's so common for folks to be like, yeah, we're losing people to the warehouse just literally right across the street, Mm. like right down the road. And the people that I see who are doing it well and are able to retain that labor, it's not just about pay, because oftentimes they're all offering the same or similar pay. But it's about perks, incentives and creating a team, Uh, creating folks who are like, you know, kind of there and working together and understand, like, you know, the company and what they're trying to go for. Um, And then just creating a job that they want to come to every day, Mm. which kind of gets into that flexible automation and those things like taking away redundant tasks and having easy to kind of bring in and roll out automation based on whatever throughput you're getting at. So like, you know, if you have uh, kind of, you know, static kind of monolithic structures, like, you know, those are only going to be made for a certain throughput, but being able to bring in robots or different things that you can scale up or scale down as you need, that'll help with the labor in terms of like making their jobs easier, but it'll also help you with your throughput to respond as needed based on the demand that maybe you weren't expecting.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: Systems level thinking. No, no, that's That's dead on. And with all respect to Matt Fitzgerald's mother, um, there's no reason to apologize for automation anymore because automation is not taking anyone's job, no one's. It is not taking, especially not in a fulfillment facility. People, as we talked about earlier, they're staying away in droves from mm. the dark, what they perceive as the dark, dirty, dangerous, and dead end jobs in warehouses. So um, there, there's really no other choice. It's much like uh, you know the the checkout free stores and all of these other options. It, it's it's more flexible. It's more responsive to the consumer in the moment, and it and it allows companies to continue to operate with a dearth of of uh, human capital. So I, I don't see that there's really any choice here. And, um, and I, I think that I love the, um, the Chucks, right? The, your, that's what you call your robots, correct? Uh, that they can be assistive um, and co-bots or, uh, or, or they can do the, the, the work themselves. So it right. it allows a lot of flexibility into a facility. We're coming into peak season. We keep talking about this. It's time to be building ca- capacity. All you got to do is just call Ellen or one of her colleagues <laughs> and say, we need <laughs> 10, 20, 50 it's more. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then um, what is it? Uh, we've heard this story before. You took somebody uh, and up, their, up to their Chuck capacity, right? Um, by something like 30 or 50% in mm. just, days right
3: yeah i mean basically once you have yeah once you have one it's easy to add in more so like if the system's set up you can keep filing more chucks in do based on the throughput that you have and whether that's a peak rental or just adding into the fleet that you already have
2: Um, so for some reason i keep thinking about you know how much wood does a wood chuck no anyway so but but (laughs) Uh, you know, I'm an engineer, right? And I'm thinking of a warehouse. A warehouse has inputs and outputs. That output is uh, uh, output is what you put out on the floor, right? But an input in a traditional supply chain is your forecast. Right. The input to what a warehouse does is its forecast. But that input is changing. It's changing to be what's actually happening Mm-hmm. on the sales floor whatever you're selling so you need to have that warehouse that not only can sense what's happening on the floor but can uh reflect that need and deliver what's needed so yep. that the trucks can know what to pick and pack and put out on, on that floor so the, the, the warehouse, the automation you have in a warehouse is critical. It's crucial to this transition from the old world of doing these 99.99% wrong forecasts to tell your warehouse else to be to actually looking at
1: what's going on on the floor. So this is a perfect segue. Uh, uh, you know, you mentioned Matt, um, uh, Matt Fitzgerald, Ellen, earlier, one of your colleagues at Six River Systems, he made a great point. Uh, you know, he said, uh, the paraphrase, we're not Six River robots, we're Six River Systems. <laughs> uh, I think I think this is an important clarification. So with that said, tell us in a nutshell what Six River Systems does, Ellen.
3: Sure, yeah. I love that phrasing from Matt Fitzgerald. Um, yeah, so, you know, we are, you're essentially a wall-to-wall fulfillment solution. So, you know, we have Chuck the robot that's able to autonomously move and work as a cobot with folks um, picking, but also work and drive um, separate from people. Uh, but in addition, this we also have an entire suite of cloud services meant to manage this work as they come into the system. Um, so with this, we are looking to essentially optimize across all the processes that you have help to offset labor shortages by making it easier to attract, train, and retain associates, like that UI, that screen that folks are working with, having an easy to use workflow. Um, As well, like trying to increase the efficiency of folks, like how do we group that work together? Like how, what order do we pick it in? What boxes does it go in? Uh, Kind of focusing not just on the robots themselves, but all the operations that you need to do in order to get work done at the end of the day.
1: Ellen, I'm so glad you shared that because yeah. uh, what Kevin was just saying earlier about being an engineer and kind of the layout of the warehouse—I mean, these are areas that, that your team can impact as well, uh, not just about the, um, the automation technology side, but kind of the process side, uh, as and, and of course the impact on, on people uh, and making it life, making life easier for our dear people and hardworking folks yeah. out there across uh, supply chains. So I love that, Ellen. Um, all right, so one more question, Ellen. You, this has been a fast-moving, uh, quick-hitting. Greg, Kevin, and Ellen. I will tell you what, uh, the three of y'all are operating at a high level this Monday, Monday morning already. You don't need don't a couple of days to get warmed up. What's that, Kevin? <laughs> don't stop the fun. Let's keep on going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, on that note, speaking of fun, Kevin, uh, if I can pull this graphic up, we, Greg, and I had a blast uh, with Ellen's colleagues. Uh, let's see. That was Will and John from Six River Systems. And we had this webinar focused on how to solve three common peak challenges. We may, we may Greg, have talked about music and Led Zepp quite a bit throughout the hour. Um, but Ellen, did you but catch this spinach. webinar? And not, not no spinach <laughs> mentions, Kevin. Um, yeah. <laughs> <so> Ellen, <laughs> did you catch this? And uh, your key takeaway here.
3: Yeah, so I think, you know, Will and John, awesome folks. Uh I think the main takeaway here is, you know, there are uh essentially, you know, peak is coming, but it's not here yet, which means that you still have time to prep. Scott, I'm stealing some of your words here. Please. So Yeah. uh, So I would just say the main takeaway here is, you know, you should definitely check out this webinar. It digs into like how to empower your labor force. A lot of the stuff that we talked about earlier around labor planning, how to deal with seasonal spikes in demand, um, and also how to improve customer satisfaction and retention. So kind of if the stuff we've been talking about today resonates with you, I think that webinar is going to be an awesome thing to check out. Um, Agreed. Yeah,
1: Ellen, and you know what we also also talked about in this session, Greg. If you remember, Crocs, Crocs, the uh, Crocs is talk about popularity, and I can't imagine uh, how Crocs plans and forecasts because my kids love; they can't get enough Crocs, and <laughs> that's been one of y'all's partners that you that you you have helped op- optimize their operations yes, and make it easier to meet their demand, enormous demand uh, here in recent years. So y'all check out the webinar; we've got the link in the comments, uh, Greg. And we've talked about it like you're not here a little bit, but uh,
0: your takeaway from that webinar and a lot of fun we had. Well, I mean, I think about um, how supply chain plays into the bigger picture of companies these days and how, um, you know, you're not you're not just satisfying your current customers. You're also defending your brand identity. And Prox is a great example of that, by the way, one of the most capital efficient public companies on the planet Hmm. Um, so, and and a lot of that has to do with how they manage their supply chain. And you know, I think the take and and you nail this um, is that this is the year of responsiveness, right? First, it was supply problems. Then it was demand problems. We are not predicting effectively, which we've talked about at, at nauseum here, but also the supply problems, right? N- now, I mean, think about this, Scott. As we were, as I was preparing for this show. Yes. Which I know it's hard to believe, but I do. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about where we are in peak season and that a lot of goods for peak season are landing now or will be or should be and will be landing in the next two, three months. I mean, that's how early some of these goods get here. And then I started thinking about some discussions we've had or some news we've heard about uh, iRobot, who will probably be selling Roombas from last year because of the port backups, they didn't receive their Roombas before Christmas and only received them in the first quarter of this year. And, uh, and how many companies have become more responsive to avoid that scenario for this peak season. And um, I think it's really, really important. And I think Ellen, you nailed it, that responsiveness is the theme of the day for supply chains.
1: That and take an action now. Don't sit in your hands and, and say, woe is me? And we got to, yeah, we're right. stuck. There's options out there. Hey, Kevin, I'm going to get your last word. But before I do, really quick, Jonathan uh, agrees, you know, culture, we've, we've mentioned that throughout the conversation here today. Uh, big part, I completely agree with that. Uh, Dr. Julia is talking about. Um, going back to forecasting, it's not about the methods, rather how they are misused and not understood. That's a great point. Fred Tolberg's with us here today. Great summer. It's a great summer day to be in supply chain. Greg, that is the... Huckle, that, oh, uh, Doc
0: Holiday of supply chain. Doc um, yes. Holiday of supply yes. chain.
1: Thank you. Yes. Um, and I'm not ignoring, we, we couldn't get all the comments here. Uh, we got a link to the website, but... Uh, uh wise GSU is making some great points here. We'll have to have a, a full-blown forecasting and and uh, planning conversation soon. But Kevin, your final word about um kind of you know retail inventory, getting ready for peak. Your final thoughts here, Kevin.
2: So I was looking at TV the other day and it were talk they were interviewing this woman, and it's June, right? And she was talking about how she is already Finished her Christmas shopping now, now now, now, Why? Because of last year There were so many shortages She started at the normal Time, right, you know People are starting a couple of weeks Before Thanksgiving right. To do Christmas shopping, you know um, And she said, I am Not going to be caught um, Without the toys Under the tree this year because of last year. So how many of the forecast models have what happened last year in them? Right. All right. So how many of them are going to forecast customers that are going to start buying stuff because they believe or they feel there's going to be supply chain issues this year? Mm. So that's almost guaranteed that right. you know it's not going to be 99.99% wrong. It's going to, you're going to put another seven <laughs> nines on that. <laughs> it's
1: going like to right. be like the Wimbledon uh, okay. um,
2: mistake. So, um, so you, you, you have to leverage automation and understand your customers today they have the experience of last year and that's how that's going to drive their actions.
1: Amen. Well said, Kevin and Greg uh, and Ellen, you're going to get the final word here today. Um, let's make sure folks know how to connect with you, Ellen. Uh, also, Six River Systems, what's the easiest way? We've got the webinar out there, but what's the easiest way?
3: Yeah. So, easiest way to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I believe that everyone has found me just by searching Ellen Patridge. Um <laughs> But in addition, I would say if you want to check out Six River Systems, so we have sixriver.com. If you want to check out our website, and also you can follow Six River Systems on Twitter and LinkedIn are the two best spots.
1: Excellent. And, you know, uh, the, beyond the webinar we've got, there's a ton of resources that you can check out via uh, their social handles uh, and connect with Ellen. Uh, we've really enjoyed our conversations with yeah. Ellen. She's very connected um, uh, with what's going on in the industry and very personal. We had a, a lot of fun talking food to sports to, to you name it. Um, so, Greg and Kevin, uh, heck of a show here with Ellen. Uh, Patridge yeah. with Six River Systems. Kevin, really quick, how can folks find you lead, of course, Digital Transformers, one of our most popular uh, uh, Podcast here at at uh, Supply Chain Now. Almost said Six River Systems at Supply Chain Now. Um, Kevin, how can how can folks find find your show?
2: Well, always on Digital Transformers. I'm going to plug next week. We release our new July um, edition of Digital Transformers, and we're going to talk about the largest blockchain implementation. Currently in the U.S. federal government called Emma, so that's going to be that's a big show we actually. Have the project manager from the uh, U.S. Census Bureau going wow. to talk about digital transformation of wow. the U.S. federal government. So that's going to be a big show, and you Amazing. can find Massive. me. On, yeah, so you can find me on supplychainnow.com under digital transformers, Twitter. Kevin underscore Jackson or LinkedIn.
1: Wonderful. It's just that easy. And of course, you can look up Digital Transformers with Kevin L. Jackson wherever you podcast and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Uh, Ellen, Greg, and Kevin, one of my favorite acronyms uh, lately has been VUCA. Stands for Volatility, Uncertainty, Complexity, and Ambiguity. Uh, Jose Montoya, great to have you here. Love your great work you do. But as Jose says, it's in our daily life. Therefore, we Mm -hmm. have to be prepared. It's not going anywhere. George is like, hey, can we say bullwhip effect? Uh, (laughs) Yes, say it louder for the folks in the back, George. Excellent point. Um, But folks, whatever you do, Greg, throw down the gauntlet, uh, issue your challenge, and then I'm going to sign off here with Ellen and
0: Kevin and me and you. Issue your challenge. What do folks got to do? Well, I mean, we've got to focus on responsiveness uh, and, and and we've got to make sure that we are looking to the future. We are forecasting the right things, casting our gaze into the future. But yes. I, have to, I have to stipulate that with this, I feel so good about the future of supply chain with people like Ellen out there uh, to carry on the mantle as some of us get old. So, thank you, Ellen. I appreciate I appreciate your point of view and your expertise.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, that shifting your gaze—that is such a uh, a Shakespearean, very dramatic. I'm, I'm going to completely steal that from you, Greg. But I agree. Uh, a lot of passion and expertise and uh, content we covered here today on the supply chain buzz. Big thanks to all of y'all that tuned in. Most importantly, also big thanks to Greg, Kevin, and Ellen. Uh, for the conversation today. make sure you connect and follow these folks across social. Make sure, hey, if you're a supply chain leader, business leader, retail leader, make sure you take action. There's so many great resources out there that can help you make it easier on your people through this upcoming peak season. But, hey, they're not going to do it for you. You got, you have to take the first step and reach out. So connect with Ellen and the Six River Systems team. Uh, but whatever you do, folks, uh, big thanks uh, to the production team as well for making it happen today. Uh, Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody.
0: Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com, and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram.